All right. Good morning, Gay. It is a pleasure having you on the show. How are you doing this morning? Uh, terrific. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. I would love for you just to introduce you yourself once again and um, let the audience, audience get to know you a little bit. Sure. So I've been uh, investing in distressed mortgages for about 10 years now. Um, it's I was a debt collection attorney for 20 years in California. Before that, um, I invested in judgment liens as a segue between uh, the law practice and this. I you know, like to say that uh, I've been in debt all my life, just not personally. Um, and uh, just I got the opportunity to look, figure out what mortgage notes were back in August of 2013. And just realized it was just a different debt instrument than what I've been used to you know, dealing with. Um, so kind of kind of natural, obviously, with the you know, debt collection background, uh, you know, one of my whys is keeping borrowers in their home. We do a lot of loss, we do a lot of loan, uh, loan modifications, to keep borrowers in their homes. So, you know, it's easy for me in the, in the beginning to speak to borrowers directly and make, you know, make deals that, that make, you know, that, that win-win for everybody. Right. Um, I mean, you're the bank, but you're not bank of America. So it's like, you know, it's not about you. It's about them because, you know, you're buying loans at a discount. So. You know, especially at the very beginning when I was buying, you know, what we call low balance, low, low balance, low value loans, right? It didn't take much for a borrower to start repaying that you can make, you know, really sizable, you know, return. What I mean by that is, let's say, you know, circa 2013 to 2016-ish, you know, properties are still underwater. I'm buying a loan for about, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars balance the house is worth maybe 50 grand which is somebody's mansion in the midwest of the south it's not you know it's not, not where i lived or, or where you live but it was a man it was it was it was you know middle class america it was middle america for somebody um and you know the, but the but the balance on the loan was you know well over probably eighty ninety thousand dollars right so borrower you know you make a deal with a borrower and she starts paying you three hundred dollars a month if i bought a loan for 10 grand that's a 36 percent return you're not getting that anywhere else now granted three hundred dollars a month is three quarters of a, of a grape, not you know one quarter of a watermelon, but it's the same token, you know, you're making very good, sizable returns, numerical returns for your investors, and you're keeping a borrower in their home because it's not that hard for them to come up with that, that type of a payment. Now, the other piece of it is we don't, I don't, my loss mitigation manager doesn't, we're not the big bad, you know, knock on your door, debt collector demands, pay or die. I bought a ton of loans where that was tried before. And it didn't work and a little was sold to me and, it, and we made a deal right um basically it's it's you treat a borrower with dignity and respect and the borrower offers you what they can do and when they're offering you what they can do they their default rate is less our default rate is less than 10 percent. and what i mean by that is for example you know let's role play for a minute here you know ace i'm you know jay tenenbaum i'm your new lender you know how can i help you and i use that magic phrase right and the magic phrase usually comes with about 30 seconds of silence because they're, they're never, nobody's ever asked them that. And, they, and they're not, they, you know, floor, it floors them, right? And then all of a sudden, they get their confidence, they get their legs from out from under them, and they decide they're going to vomit their country western song on me. And in that conversation becomes what they can, what they can afford to pay. And I've heard, I've heard all kinds of stories. That's incredible. Let's, um, I want to definitely hit on that because I think what you just said is so important. But for everybody listening to be like, all right, this guy's already lost me. What the heck is going on? Trust me, I took note school from Eddie Speed back in the day. So I'm sure you're very familiar with that man. Eddie's a very good friend of mine. I was just in Dallas a couple weeks ago at his conference. Yes. Oh, he's got the best, he's got the best uh, analogies and metaphors for, for everything. Man. He, <laughs> he does. He's got a good Texas he, accent too. That's for sure. He, he does. So for everybody listening, what Jay is talking about is essentially buying a mortgage note from somebody. So he is essentially not buying the asset. The homeowner still owns the home. They're still making the improvements, all of that. You're buying the piece of paper, essentially. But obviously, I'm butchering it. You know it better. No, than me. Actually, actually, you're doing that. So that's a very good description of, of what it is. You're buying the paper. You're not buying the property. More, more than likely, I'll never own the property unless I take it back at foreclosure. Um, you step in shoes of the bank. Um, I mean, the history of this industry is pretty simplistic. You know, <clears throat> Fannie, Freddie, HUD, you know, all the big boys are putting these distressed loans out on the market. Um, Goldman Sachs, you know, hedge funds like that, that size 
are stroking seven, eight figure checks and just trading them as commodities. And at some point in your career, the you know, they get traded as commodity down from you know Goldman to somebody to somebody to somebody like us. And you know, for you know, a dollar ninety-five more because of, you know Goldman bought them cheap. We're buying them cheap plus you know a little bit more. And you know, you do your analysis and it's, you can still make money. It's not about oh my God, Goldman sold made, you know bought it for twenty cents on the dollar. Why am I paying fifty? Hey, if fifty cents on the dollar still works, it still works, right? Um, I mean, you don't have to be a pig or a hog in this in this market. So you know, it comes down to us. And what we do different, obviously, is our in-house loss mitigation team will actually work the work the loan, right? All that time that went from Goldman, from, from HUD or whatever to Goldman to whoever, it got traded as a commodity. Nobody talked about it or nobody worked it, right? Um, and so you do something that nobody's done before. I mean, you know, the show is a superhero. I can't tell you that it's really a superhero power. It's just talking to somebody. And when you talk to somebody, stuff happens. Hey, that that is a superpower because we both know no matter if it's in business, it's with your spouse, your kids, communication is the key. And it sounds like that is definitely, we will get into your superpowers here later in the show. Uh, and just to let everybody know, I didn't realize this until I started getting mortgages and things like that. When you get a mortgage with somebody, they don't always hold on to it for those 30 years, those 15 years, whatever your mortgage is. They sell it to somebody else. They chop it up. And like you said, it's a commodity to them. It's not even a house. It's not even an asset. And I just love what you were saying because that totally makes sense. You're not the big bad wolf. You're just buying these from other you know, companies that have already bought it from the original mortgage. So it has passed hands probably a few times before it even shows up on your desk. True. True. And as you and as you evolve in a business, obviously, when I first started, I'm buying it at a lower tier, you know, where it's changed hands five times. Now I'm buying them because we as we've grown and you've got the track record, the history, capital partners are attracted to you, et cetera. I'm probably buying it at risk change hands maybe once or twice. Ish. Actually, we've even we've even bid on on HUD pools last summer. Um, we didn't win anything because we weren't gonna overpay for stuff like because they were going off just crazy, stupid pricing. But um, we had the opportunity and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, blessed, blessed to have that opportunities that you've aspired to, you've grown as a company to do that. You know, you're not going to accomplish that in your first five minutes of business. And it took me a while, but that's where we are right now. Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit. You were a lawyer. I'm assuming because of your communication skills, you were a successful lawyer. And um, I know what I pay my lawyer and I know they usually make a pretty good living. I, I went through a divorce this past year. I've gone through buyouts of businesses and things like that. So I've, I've had my fair share, especially in the last year of working with lawyers. So what made you decide to transition or was it a full transition? Can you walk us through what got you interested? What was the reason behind getting into notes and real estate when you were, I'm assuming a pretty darn good lawyer? Good question. So I love the practice of law. I, you know, I had a law firm with my wife, and yes, we're still married 33 years. And we survived working together, but um, managing 45 hangnail employees did me in. Just the babysitting of, of managing, you know, being an employer just did me in. After 20 plus years, I was just done. And what I was going to do next, I didn't know. Um, I just knew that that it was time to, to get out of this rat race because um, I was too far inside. The practice for, for most of that for all that time and to be honest with you the only real estate experience that i had at the, up to that point was just the owning the home you know the four or five homes that my wife and i had lived in and bought for ourselves because um, she was on the five-year plan i met her and i had a house in the north, north san fernando valley of, of california and but it wasn't her house so we moved five years later we bought a different house five years later but a different house we kept moving progressively south and I thought five years from there, we'd be moving to San Diego. Five years after that, we'd be in New Mexico. We stayed in Orange County for, you know, for about 15 years um, and uh, raised our family and then moved to Arizona in 2017. But um, um, it really, it, I didn't have any real true real estate experience. I didn't have the advantage that others have of being, you know, second, third, fourth generation real estate um, experience agents or investors or whatever, like, you know, your parents. You aspire at times to do what your parents do. My parents were entrepreneurs. That I learned from them. My parents were in the restaurant business. 
I thought that's what I was going to do, you know, my, my life. And one night, my father and I are having an innocuous dinner by ourselves, which is very rare, like a pink unicorn. He says, get out of this business, go get a profession. That's how I ended up going to law school. Um, but, and then between getting out of law practice, I ditched the employees. I was doing, uh, I was working for, um, my wife and I were both working for uh, a service, a vendor that we had used as our, in our law practice, where all we're doing is making contract uh, trial occurrences. And at the time, this is, you know, 2009, 2010, so we're doing post-foreclosure eviction work, um, you know, and just doing a ton of those, right? And it was easy. You go, you know, granted, I'm tethered to being in some court in Cal Southern California at some day, you know, every morning, but I was getting paid very well. Um, and all we did was go to court, make the appearance, come back home, report on it, throw the file away and be done with it. And then make the prep for, for the next day. Um, and it was easy stuff. And while my debt collection practice, I had, you know, we did work all across the state and I never made appearances in, any, in front of any judge in any regular basis. Being in court every day on these eviction stuff, I got, to, you know, I was known, you, know, you got to know the other attorneys that are there doing the same stuff. And you got little, the judges, I ran in, you know, ran in a judge at, at PetSmart one day and he knew, and he knew me by my first name. I mean, it was great. Um, uh, you know, and you, it was really a lot of fun. And one day, my wife and I, we switched uh, assignments and I did a trial in Orange, in, in a court. And the guy that I was, it was actually just a normal eviction trial. And the guy, that was the tenant had this this model of, of uh, buying judgment liens and how to execute on them. And we started talking, even after we finished, you know, settled the case, whatever, we started talking and I learned and it ended up forming a company with, a, with another non-attorney partner buying, you know, investing in judgment liens. And we were, you know, executing on real property. And I was learning at that point, you know, title, how to read title reports and learn priority of title and all that. And that kind of put the segue into, okay, so when I got the opportunity to go to um, a competitor of Eddie's, um, uh, note buying for dummies workshop for four days, I'm like, this is a different dentist room, like I said before, and I can do this. And that's how I got started. That's incredible. I, I love that. I love how you were clear on what you didn't want, right? You had to practice a gob of employees. You know, I, I worked for a design build contractor. My, my background, everybody that listens to the show knows I say this all the time, but I was a structural engineer. I worked for a contractor and we had about 32 employees and I was the general manager and I was being groomed to take over that company and having to herd cats, so to speak, I think you might've used that term. It was just, man, it just sucks the energy out of you day in and day out. And at that point, it's like, Money doesn't matter. Your sanity, your mental health, how you how you view your day, waking up. Like we said, it's Monday morning when we're recording this right now. My guess is your Monday morning back then and your Monday morning today could not be more different. True, very true. I have a life. I have a life again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure your wife and your kids appreciate that more than you'd probably ever know. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> in certain capacities, certain capacities. That's that's for darn sure. So I love it. So you went to a course called Note Buying for Dummies, took the course. Obviously, there was so much synergy with, with what you were learning, what you've been doing. What'd you do after taking that class? Did you uh, hire a coach, continue with a mentor, or did you say, okay, I think I know the connections and I have the connections well enough. I know this, this well enough. I'm just going to keep doing what they tell me to do. What happened after that class? So it's, 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 interesting. it's interesting you ask what happened after because as I wanted to be a real estate investor, let's say, before that. But you go to these seminars and hotel ballrooms, et cetera, and come Monday morning, you have no idea where to find a deal. And in this four-day four day no Dummies workshop, I met – relationship he made you know i met he brought in guys that could sell you loans right then and there and obviously and he had and part of the mentoring program that i took was you know access to his you know rolodex of, of banks and hedge funds which i never used but it was all about the opportunity for fine deals was kind of like part of the course 
and that so dramatically different than everything else that you know, I didn't have to worry about what I was going to find the next deal. I just had to be experienced enough to go, you know, do it. And during those four days, I sat next to, um, you know, by random three different guys, and we ended up kind of forming a, a partnership. And we went out and bought loans, bought three loans in January of 2014 um, together, and did really well on those three. Two weeks after that, I, I got an opportunity to buy 20 loans, um, a little larger than what this partnership could handle. So I went to my family um and turned you know those most of them were performing same same hedge fund seller and doubled my money in in, in nine months and basically i had now i had a track record now i could write my own ticket to do whatever i needed else to do and i grew i grew i grew my experience from there that's incredible i love what you said about networking with people at the event like anybody listening that's been to a real estate boot camp or anything you said it most of the time it's in a ballroom. Most of the time the speakers are there to sell you something, which, you know, what they have to sell does have value. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, you formed relationships with people within that group. And I'm assuming collectively you guys had different skill sets, different connections. And by putting yourselves together, you were able to accomplish something that might've taken a whole heck of a lot longer, cost a whole heck of a lot more money or, just what wouldn't have been as profitable as you going down that route. I, I love you sharing that because I don't think a lot of people have that same kind of experience and do that same sort of thing coming out of one of those events. I know for me, I faced that problem too. That Monday morning, all right, uh, what do I do now? What do I do? Now? I mean, it, it's, it's what it's, you know. It's a couple of things. It's, one is there's a, getting educated in what you're in going never in. And, joy, and and working with and, and and working together with people who have already been there and and and, and done it before you because out of that three guys two of which were already were already doing it to some level so it was like okay even though I had legal experience and had some familiarity what was going on they'd actually done more the grant you know the granular investing before so you partner up with somebody who knows what they're doing um, and then kind of goes hand in hand one a one b but you got to have some education of what you're doing otherwise you can just partner up yeah you can learn from your partners and that's fine and you do i mean my current partner learned from me totally i mean from scratch but you know um but there it, it still goes you know hand in hand um the other piece of it is you know let's be realistic you know the the funnel which i guess my funnel was a little different because it was like a four-day note bike for w workup which is very comprehensive and you can almost do it by yourself, but I wanted the education piece, so that's why I jumped into his mentoring. But I mean, you get people at these at these events that okay, they got hooked in for the ninety-seven dollar weekend event, right? And they get pissed off when three, you know, during the three days, they're like, I don't, I'm getting upsell for a course, and I'm, you know, I expected to be trained as a real estate investor in three days. That ain't gonna happen. I don't care how how unless you unless you have. You know, your third, fourth generation real estate investor, this is different niche that you already, you know, new to you, perhaps. You're not going to learn how to do anything in three days. You're just not, you know. So the expectation is, okay, you're going to have the opportunity to get further educated. It's up to you to evaluate whether, whether that fits your goals and objectives. For me, it was all about deal flow. That's why I jumped into this, that program. It was the abilities to find, to find deals. That's what hooked me. I love that. I love it. Did you find that like your previous relationships, you had mentioned investing in judgment liens before that and, and all of that, having these relationships, like you said, the judge knew you by your first name. Were you able to leverage anything from your past besides, I know we talked about communication skills and things like that, but those relationships, did were you able to use those relationships at all to help with this business? Not really, more of more of the education and the knowledge. Uh, like I said, learning, you know, how to read, become very familiar with title reports because that was, you know, in every file that we were doing on the execution end um, and understanding those. Um, I suppose from time to time, I suppose, yes, leveraging your relationship, it's okay, I have a problem. Who do I know? I know a guy at a title company. Okay, yeah, probably. As far as using any of the vendors and those relationships to, to parlay to you know to establish my new note buying business no not really not that i remember 
Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty much that was a former life, but you did use these intrinsic skills. And like you said, if you had a question, maybe somebody within that realm knew the answer, at least could put you, uh, point you in the right direction or introduce you to somebody else. That Correct. Might be the answer. Correct. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that really makes sense. So it sounds like you had partners to begin with. You have another partner right now. I'm not going to overstate how important having partners is. People say sometimes I, there's this, uh, thing that, People say, oh, it's lonely at the top, right? Like I'm on the mountaintop, it's lonely. But I think that is complete BS. You need people around you to help support you, whether it's emotionally, uh, intellectually. And partners, I feel like, will get you to where you want to go so much faster. And it's such, such a better ride to be able to do things with other people. With that said, what are some of the things that you look at for when you evaluate whether or not you want to partner with somebody or not? You know, I stub my toe a few times with certain partnerships, more of the shoot ready aim and saying, hey, this makes sense. And, you know, and, and we're complement, we got complementary skills, we've got diverse skills, whatever. Um, and it's funny because in some of my prior investing partnerships, they lasted only a couple of years. They, and they, you know, fell apart for different reasons. Um, you know, you outgrew each other, but whatever. And with my current partner, we've been together five, six years now, I think I was, I was subliminally trying to sabotage it around the two year mark, <laughs> but we've stayed, but we, but I did it. And, um, and, and I, what I've learned from him is that having diverse and opposite skills makes a lot of sense. He's the analytical one. And that's not something that is, is I, I yes, I can sit down and analyze the spreadsheet and, and evaluate what to buy. I don't, I hate it. I, I can't sit in front of a computer like that and do, and do that. And he and him and his team can, and I envy that, right? And we've grown because of that. And yet he doesn't know the first thing about loss mitigation, and you'd probably be scary if you tried. Um, <laughs> but that's because that's but that's my team, and that's and that's my disposition. So um, having the the differing skills, you know, yours which you're strong in, and you and you're getting a partner that's that that is a master of your weaker skills, you know, um, and and you and you balance. I mean, there's we we've, we've talked over the course of time. As to, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you you go you know too far forward if you create silos where I don't know what he's doing, I don't know how to do it, I don't know, and I know what he's doing. It's just you just don't have to get in the trenches with it with him, that kind of thing. He knows enough. He knows enough. He knows enough about what we do. Um, like I said, he wouldn't want to do it himself. He wouldn't do it. Doesn't have any interest to do it himself, but he knows he probably knows how to do it. I certainly know how to do what he does but not to the level and the degree and experience and depth that he does. Yeah, exactly. He stays in his lane. You stay in your lane. He's got his skill set. You've got your skill set. I think that is so important. And, you know, the thing is, like, I've had some pretty bad partnerships over the years. I've had good partnerships. And one of the things I realized is it comes down to shared values, too. You know, what what are the values that that you hold true in your life? And I found that through the good and the bad, it's when those values really shine is, is, is when things are starting to suck or they're difficult or we're getting squeezed. You really find what somebody's made out of. But if you keep the mission aligned for why you're doing this and you have values that, that not only complement each other but, but speak and align with one another, that is going to get you through any sort of storm, just like any relationship with a spouse or a partner or anything like that as well. Oh, that's definitely true. That and, and, and probably maybe it goes hand in hand with values a little bit. It's, it's work ethic as well. Mm, I love that. I love that. I am writing that down as, as you speak, because yeah, I, I guess it is pretty tough, right? Like if you have a partner where you feel like you're grinding and grinding and working and they're just kind of, coasting or what have you that I'm I know for me in the past that's built up a lot of resentment or when I'm not completely focusing on a business my partner you know that builds up resentment as well but it sounds like this we can circle this back to communication where communication is so important right like maintaining uh, an open line of communication where you guys are are talking openly and frequently enough that when problems do arise when things do happen that you guys talk through it, make a plan, 
together and then execute on it. We've gotten much, 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 much better at it for sure. Um, and one of the things that that he, like I said, where you know at the two-year mark, I think I was when we tried to wreck it was he taught me how to be how to be more delegable. So where you know he was coasting, per, perception perceived coasting was because he had he, he delegated his to his, his his team. You know he had other people to get the work done. And I'm the you know if I was being you know, resentful because I was being the mules because I didn't have the people the resources to delegate to now I do so he pushed me to get there because it was always the, the you know the adage is okay by the time I do take to train you I can do it myself well take the step back and and, and train because it makes your life like I said today's not a manic Monday because of it <laughs> I love that too because yeah perception right it you perceive that he wasn't working like you you were expecting him to work just like you when in reality you were wanting essentially to run it like he does. So you're not pulling your hair out like, you know, like you were doing when you ran your law firm. Like I, that's a, a great realization. And I'm happy to hear because that's one of the things that I personally struggle with is I feel like I need to do everything myself, delegation or setting up those systems and processes so that you don't have to do everything. And that's something I'm learning myself as well. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, for everybody no, listening. No, no, no problem. I mean, one of the things though, that let me, let me clarify a little bit. I didn't know. I have a very, I'm a workaholic. I've got a, I, I set the bar very high as far as, you know, the hours and, and time I put into this because one, I loved what I'm doing. So I don't have, I don't, I it wasn't about expecting him to match my work ethic. Cause that's not going to happen. I set a very high bar. But again, the fact that we were able that he taught me how to delegate make you know resolve that 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 hiccup. That's incredible. No, oh, thank you for sharing that and, and clarifying that. For everybody listening, I'm speaking with Jay Tenenbaum. Check out his website, ScottsdaleMortgageInvestments.com. Follow him on LinkedIn, Jay Tenenbaum, and check out his podcast, The Real Estate Mastermind Live. All right, I'm going to switch gears here real quick. You're on a podcast now. I love podcasting. Can you tell us real quick what your podcast is about and what drove you to start a podcast? <laughs> sure. Um, asking the latter question first, I guess what drove us to do it is that we it started right around the pandemic and we were just bored. Um, I mean, we kind of were toying with the idea of like everybody else, like you want to do a podcast, you want to do a podcast, okay. But we never really jumped off and did it until COVID because we were bored. Um, it's not that our, our business was different. We weren't really buying notes at the time. I actually started buying notes once we got out of COVID. Um, pricing had gotten too high. We kind of were buying rental properties instead. But um, yeah, we jumped out and did it. Um, the show's a lot of fun. Um, we we um, are basically just the drivers. We, we interview, just like this kind of show, we interview experts in real estate of all walks of life. Um, we've had some guests on in areas that we know nothing about and we've and we've, you know it's, it's great it's not about you know our show's not about us it's not about who we are it's not about an hour spending an hour you know hear us worry yeah we spent a few minutes talking about stuff and, and banter and all that but um we just bring on guests and give them the platform to, to tell you know the show tell the audience what they're all about we've had multi-family guys we've had syndication attorneys we've had uh you know uh cpas we've had Economist from Wells Fargo. Uh, we've had um, some tax strategy guys. We've had uh, guys that you know are in the note business that you know they're colleagues and friends of mine. And those and those shows are fun because I'm friends with these guys going in. But obviously, we're you know, I mean, we've interviewed tons of guys that I've not know I've never heard of. You know, Tyler, our production manager, you know, books us up, books us our stuff. Uh, we do it twice a month, first first and third uh, Tuesday of every month. Um, and we're probably, last I checked, probably over 200 episodes or so, or so, I don't even know. Um, but, um, and we're syndicated on, or not syndicated, we also uh, are on KSO, KSFO out of San Francisco mm. uh, radio show. Um, and we've got an opportunity to branch into another radio show as well. Um, but we do it just for fun. We haven't really, we haven't monetized it at all, really. Um, we just do it for fun. 
I love that. I love that. Just doing it to give, not making it about yourself, but just helping other people. When I read in your bio KSFO, I'm originally from the Bay Area, born and raised. So I was like, no, that can't be. Yeah. We started doing that about a year ago, almost a year ago. That's incredible. No, I just love how, how you're giving back. And that's why I have people like you on this show. It's great to have superpowers. It's great to to build businesses and really build something great. But in addition to it, it's about giving back, giving to others. Do you feel like the act of giving, of pouring yourself, your skills, giving it essentially to other people to empower other people, does that give you more fulfillment than building the businesses, making the money, or just walk me through how giving back has changed your life and what it does for you personally? I think it's something that just comes comes natural. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, there are times as you, you know, strive to feed your family, money's, the money's important, the money's a driver, it's got to have, you know, revenue potential that can feed, feed your family and all that. Um, I mean, I'm not, you know, that charitable or benevolent. I mean, I got to, you know, raise a family, but, um, but at the same token, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I was blessed when as when I was going through the certification for a keynote, as a keynote speaker, um, the guy that ran the, the ran the class the workshop said, you know, you're telling me resonating with me right away. He said something about, you know, when you're knowledgeable about what you're doing, you're really considered an expert. And I didn't, I knew I was knowledgeable, but I wouldn't necessarily give myself the compliment that I was an expert. Right. And really his definition of expert really is kind of dilutes, dilutes the standard of what you, some would, would think an expert sh should be. Right. But it did resonate. So, okay, fine. If you're knowledgeable, it, it does it. Now I'll tell you the fulfillment of education. Uh, okay. I never want and have aspired to be like my mentor or Eddie Speed or you know guys that are true educators in this business. I respect those guys to death. Um, you know they've made a business out of the education piece. That's not something I would never want to be an educator. Um, obviously, we were involved in the real estate community for quite a while. Running, I was running all the I was on the board. I was running all the masterminds. Ran our own note investing on estate mastermind for almost five years, um, and poured a lot of you know heart and soul into it. I got to tell you, I'm a people person, though. Um, yes, we all have pivoted and adapted to Zoom, but I'm much better life. <laughs> I have more fun in life. Um, in fact, I was just, I was, uh, uh, as I mentioned, I was at uh, uh, Eddie Speed's conference in Node Expo, and we had the privilege, uh, my, the asset, my last mitigation manager, Matt Gillette, and I had the privilege of being uh, on stage on one of the, one of their, what a Bob, Bob Repass uh, called note talks. And the note talk was pretty funny. Actually, Bob had, had asked, had wanted Matt to, to, you know, share his story. Right. And, and Matt's been in this business a, quite a while. And Matt does a great job talking to borrowers and doing, doing all this stuff. And he's petrified of getting on stage. And so Bob and I, and Matt, but Matt wasn't there at the time. We're talking about the upcoming Node Expo. And he said, and I, and I said, well, you know, I'll get up on stage with him and hold his hand. And Matt, and Bob's like, can you, does Matt, is Matt on board with this? Ah, don't worry. I'll get him up on, on stage, right? So, um, and I did. And it was really, you know, I basically, I took a step back and just, and just basically was the, was the MC. I just introduced him and edified him and let him roll and, um, and then when we, you know, and Bob followed us on his note talk and Bob relayed the story about how he, you know, said this man on board of doing this. I'm like, I'll just get him there. And, um, and it was a true story. I mean, obviously, and um, we had a great time doing it. And, you know, the opportunities to get, go live, do stuff live again, still, you know, I was, I was, you know, we were on, him and I were together on stage for 15 minutes. Right. And I only spoke probably two or three or four minutes of that, of that 15. And I was still, you know, energized by it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm much better life. The very first time I did this is even before COVID, I had the opportunity to do the same presentation that I had done live for a while, but it was on, uh, uh, zoom way before COVID. Right. And I remember about, you know, an hour, hours presentation. I knew the presentation, the slideshow back, backwards and forwards. 
And about 20, 30 minutes in, I was so bored just staring at a computer that I really, this thought popped in my head, why don't I just turn it off and go and walk away? I'm like, that would be pretty dumb. But it was like, you just couldn't engage with your people. Like, and I'm, a, I'm a people person. Uh, you know, it's funny. I told you my father, you know, owned restaurants, right? And I, you know, grew up in that business as, you know, a busboy, a waiter, a bartender, right? Notice I didn't say I was a cook. I never spent any, I had the run out of the, the restaurants, you know, right? I could have gone back and learned how to cook anytime I wanted to. I never spent any time back there. I, I regret that to the fact that I can't cook with crap right now. I mean, I just don't know how to cook, but I regret that. But the reason, the thing is, is I was a people, it turns out that in, in retrospect, I'm a people person. So being a cook wasn't, you know, wasn't something that I was fond of because I'm in the back just talking to myself or talking to other people. But in the front of the room, you're in front of the room. And, you know, it's not about being in front of the room to hear me roar. It's just about engaging people. Exactly. Making that connection, like you talked about, communication, finding out who they are, what they need, what they want. It sounds like you're a pretty curious person when it comes to really just understanding other people. Curious? Um, I don't know about curious, but perceptive, I guess. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. No, I love it, man. Well, Let's uh, let's jump into some superhero questions. This actually is a great segue for that. What uh, would you say some of your superpowers are? Communication skills, integrity, diligence, commitment. Um, <laughs> my wife will tell you one super one power I don't have is empathy, and I'm getting better at it. <laughs> I'm too pra- I'm too practical. I just look at something and just like figure out how to solve it. Versus being empathetic on, on 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 the feelings of it. Yeah, yeah. You put those emotions aside, all that. You just focus on the problem and and focus on yeah. What's what's the best way to tackle this? I love that. No, I think communication. It, you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. So, who are some real life superheroes that you've had throughout your life? First and foremost, be my father. I mean, he was a, he was a wonderful man, just, you know, lit up every room he was, he was in, taught me, you know, wasn't hands-on, you know, helicopter parent, neither one of them were, right? They, they were, you know, they, they, they innately taught us, taught all my siblings, you know, entrepreneurship, because we all became entrepreneurs. Um, not that we went to, you know, sat around the dinner table and say, this is how to be an entrepreneur. We all want you to be an entrepreneur. They never really guided us much of any, you know, we basically figured out, we, we, we they innately taught us independence. At least me. Um, I was the oldest, so I don't know. Maybe the independence they taught me backfired because as I became more and more independent, my mom never really figured that out, or, or, or was never that, that kind of was an issue. But but no, um, my father for sure. I mean, I've had, you know, I'm like a, a, a stick and move kind of guy, right? I have a lot of friends, but I don't necessarily have deep relationships, right? So there's a lot of people in my life that have, you know, done, you know, that have, that have um, provided value, provided opportunity, or just some innocuous, you know, uh, mentorship, whatever, by accident. Um, so yeah, I mean, as a people person, I just gravitate to, you know, to, to them. So there's a lot of people. I mean. Partner that I worked for, the law firm I met my wife at, um, you know, was was a you know, he was a mentor, he was a father. It's funny, um, the firm didn't have a wasn't real fond of inter office dating, and my wife and I, as we started dating, was kept on the on the on the low of on the QT because of that. But yet her father was general counsel of the firm's largest client, and so one night she's on her way over to my house, and um, she drove her partner home, and she told her partner that we were dating. And she comes over and she goes, and she told me, I'm like, you did what? I mean, I look, I took the risk of, hey, everything got, you know, shit at the fan, I'm out. She's in, she's not going anywhere. And the next day, um, I was supposed to go to the Dodger game, firm had no seats and everything, with my partner, right? And for his, I'd spent New Year's Eve at his house. He was my friend, my mentor, the partner I worked for. It still took me a couple beers in the sixth inning before I could tell him about what, you know, because I went, he had to hear it first, right, before anyone else. And everybody, you know, moral story was, he, he, you know, she her partner was on board with it. My partner, you know, they didn't have to bless it. They just you know, thought it was great. 
and it spawned like you know six or seven other marriages and other things of the firm it kind of opened floodgates um but so i mean you know as you as you live your life you could always there's always a, a story a memory you know and a, you know something going on i mean right now um we kind of reinstituted as my kids have gotten older um we spent the summer um i've got three sons i got six kids i got three sons three daughters um not being chauvinistic it was just the daughters are you know have other have other, other things going on they're not sports junkies like my sons are and we spent a weekend in ohio what we saw a, a cleveland indian or guardian game and then drove to cincinnati saw a game flew home and we're sitting there in cincinnati going what's our next trip and that became the very end of the baseball season we saw the mets uh play and then we saw the giant the jets play uh met my life stadium on sunday night and the giants on monday night um uh we were here my son flew in from denver um we saw all the the diamondbacks uh playoff games um we're going to we've got tickets to the final four already um he's coming in town this week uh this coming weekend for thanksgiving um with his wife and their three dogs and our dogs where it's gonna be a lot done you know it's gonna be a chaos but it's, it is what it is um so yeah we've kind of just decided that you know it was you know as i'm sitting there bonding with my kids and my sons right it's been a lot of fun and my, and my oldest son is like you know this is great this is you know we we all have busy lives you know a, a very dear song and i and my uncle um knew the the the, uh, the artist um harry chapin cat in the cradle right and that song brings tears in my eyes every every time i hear it because if you know the song it's you know the kid wants to play with the dad the dad's too busy the kid gets older dad the dad wants to reach out to the kid the kids the, you know the kid's now too old he's got his own family and you just didn't connect and it's something that i made a part through sports through this through getting together that has really been um we did it is we did it with my two older my oldest son and my little son, my young middle son when they were younger before travel ball and all that started in, and we reinstituted it and it's you know it's a tradition that we're going to carry forward i know i don't know where our next trip is It'll probably be a basketball hockey deal of some sort um but um but yeah it's just it, it, that stuff's priceless it's incredible yeah those experiences that you'll always remember that once it's gone it's gone right and i really appreciate you opening up about that and sharing how beautiful something like that is and um yeah no, i i appreciate you sharing that because that's that's an incredible story it reminds me and it's taking me back to when my dad used to take me to ball games and things like that. And um, yeah, that's incredible. So we've covered a lot of ground from being a lawyer to being a note guy, running businesses. Now you're a speaker. Obviously, you're a husband and a father. If you had a superhero name, I'm going to ask it, what would your superhero name be? So I have a, a, a superhero name. Well, okay. So let me explain this. I don't know how, okay. I don't know how it originated, but I've got two names I'll, that I'll share and I'll show you, tell you the this, this story about the first one. So the law firm that I met my wife at um, was an insurance defense firm. And when an attorney went to trial or did or scored a big settlement, you know, it was a defense firm. So a big settlement was you settled cheaper than what the, you know, play, the accident attorney wanted, or you defense the case or something like that. They yeah. put a star on your door of your office. Right. Okay. Cool, nice little star. And um, somehow, years ago, in my law practice, when I would like, you know, settle a case or do something good, whatever, I just, you know, it was just like I'm Spartacus. And I don't know where Spartacus came from or whatever. It's just like kind of, kind of grown on, grown on me. And that's what I kind of, you know, when, I, when when something good happens like that, and I was responsible for it. Okay, I'm Spartacus. Um, in the real estate community, I don't know how this thing came to either. Um, it was. Um, Nostradamus. And my partner, his name is, is Seth or SETI, S-E-S-E-T-I. And he was SETI Bank. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. A power duo for sure. I do love love the name uh, Spartacus. I think that's very, very suiting for you, actually. <laughs> um, so as far as the future goes, what um, I know it's people ask what's the next five to 10 years look like? I love asking the question. It sounds like you're spending time with your sons, 
with your family, creating all these experiences. What do you see personally, professionally going forward here? Good question. So when I first went to that No Buying for Dummies workshop, um, I asked the proverbial question, how long is this going to last? And back in 2013, it was two, it was three to five years. At Node Expo, one of the uh, panels that was on stage kind of referenced the same thing about how, you know, and even Eddie too, like, you know, there's no, in the foreseeable future, this, you know, the opportunities, you know, still very pl plentiful, right? Um, it's not a book like, you know, who moved my cheese kind of thing. Um, so I don't, I don't see, I, I see that, you know, in every year you've got to pivot as far as what the opportunities are going to look like, but I don't see that. And, and, and our opportunities are growing leaps and bounds every year. Um, and, and I mean, growth in, in a variety of different ways of relationships and opportunities and, and things like that. I mean, you know, like I said, last summer, we um, been on HUD, which we weren't able to do before. I think growing and things like that. Um, I mean, I'm not in, in business. I'm always kind of related to my mother owned a catering service in Denver for 50 years. And it started in the basement of our house with Country Squire Station Megan and grew to a multi-million dollar business in the you know building and fleet of bands and everything else that you know, left she left my brother owns it now. But um and as she grew the company, I mean went, you know, from, from the basement of our house to subcontracting with my father's restaurant and things like that to her own, you know, freestanding thing, she used to say, you know, like pitch me like a bless, like a, like she really was was very grounded on as she as her company was growing um so i feel the same way very blessed very you know, pitched me as far as the growth we've had um as far as personally um not that i had any real epiphany or anything like that but you know i'm in a place where like i said i've got a great team that i manage that aren't baby that aren't the babysit i can i can oversee them i don't have to necessarily manage them because they manage themselves really well um to where the growth of our business has allowed us to send you to kind of take a step back and and let it and let it grow and 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 and, 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 and evolve um to where you know i have a lot of my life my personal life back i've got to learn how to work less you know because i'm a workaholic work manager whatever but really enjoy stuff and um you know my wife and i we've been you know Travel. We've been going to concerts, a lot more concerts than we've been, you know, repping that up. Um, we travel a little bit, not, you know, great things, but just, you know, a few days here and there, as, you know, staycations kind of thing. Um, like I said, it's the holidays. And so now family is important. And, you know, as my oldest son lives in Denver, um, you know, we're going to have family around for Thanksgiving. Usually every, up until last, up until COVID, my mom sponsored a trip that we all, me, my my cousins, siblings, nieces, nephews, there's like 30 of us that went down to Port an all-inclusive resort in Puerto Vallarta from 2009 to 2019. Um, even though she passed on, we've, we've kept the tradition alive every other year. So this year we're all having family, you know, we're having our own family here, but like next year, last year, we'll be back in Mexico with everybody else. So Thanksgiving and family is very important. Incredible. I love the tradition too, and keeping, the legacy alive, right? I think that's so important. And it's those things that our, our parents or people that have since passed, we're able to take on now and implement in our lives. And I appreciate you saying that because that, that's absolutely incredible. Um, for anybody interested in getting into notes or doing what you do, what's your one recommendation to them for them to get started? Like I said, get educated so you know what you have, some foundation of what you're doing, and or partner up with someone else who already knows how to do it. Um, don't do it. Don't do it alone. That's the recipe for disaster. Um, and you know, like I said, um, you know, check out our website. We can, we've got a trade desk. We actually have, have notes available for sale. Not that somebody brand new would have any idea what to do, but we can refer you to some partners of ours that do spend a lot of time educating because we don't, um, and we don't want to. But we have we part we've, we've Fill that void because, like I said, you know, as I mentioned earlier, where you find that first deal was very integral, important to me, right? So our trade desk has assets available, but someone who doesn't know what they're doing would be would be ludicrous for you to say, "Sure, I'm going to buy this," right? It's a recipe for disaster. But we partnered up with some other folks um, that we can refer you to that do a very good job of educating. I love that, and for people listening too, like if you want the paper and not the asset, like that is 
huge because that will bring in passive income. And I know we didn't get in the weeds of performing versus non-performing notes and things like that. Obviously, nothing is purely passive, but at the same time, if you don't want to be a landlord or clean toilets or deal with property managers, things like that, notes are a fantastic way to do that. And it's it's kind of niche. I know it because I've been in that world a little bit, but it's an amazing way to build up income and really grow your business. But like you said, it's like any other business. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate you sharing it. I appreciate your time here and I appreciate you being so open about not only your professional, but your personal life that speaks volumes of, of, like you said, one of your superpowers is integrity that speaks volumes to who you are as a man and how, how you live your life. So thank you for sharing all of that. My pleasure. And like I said, if you want to get in this business, just think of yourself as I could be Wells Fargo or, or Bank of America without all the bureaucracy and, and corporate nature, I could, but, but that's who you are. You're stepping in shoes of those banks because they originated in loans initially and you get to you end up owning the same loan that they originated at some point. That's incredible. You get to be the bank. And if you've been to real estate uh, conferences or anything like that, or listen to podcasts, they always say the best position to be in is the banks and with the, <laughs> you get to be that. So once again, for everybody listening, this is Jay Tenenbaum. His company is Scottsdale Mortgage Investments. Check them out on their website, scottsdalemortgageinvestments.com. Also, check them out on LinkedIn, Jay Tenenbaum. Once again, that's spelled J-A-Y. And also check out his podcast, The Real Estate Mastermind Live. Well, Jay, it's been a pleasure having you. It's been a pleasure getting to know you for the past hour or so. I really appreciate it. And uh, man, I look forward to following you and seeing all the amazing things you're going to do both in your professional and your personal life. So thank you for coming on. Well, my sincere pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Thank you for, so much for having me. Thank you. For everybody listening, this is the Superhero by Design podcast. You could spend your time with anybody, but you spend it here with me and my wonderful guests, just like Jay. So I really appreciate that. And I don't take it for granted. So remember, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. And like that, he's gone. Ace out.